Good morning. How are y'all doing today? Boy, it's glad to see you. Somebody left their purse up here. I'll move that because you're going to be wondering what that is through the whole service. And it's okay. It's safe, I think. You know, don't leave your baggage unattended. And there you go, right? That, that's it. Yes. Ah, it's great to see you. We're glad that you are here. Grab your Bibles. Turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. We continue in our series. We continue our series this morning called The Fight. And we're talking about the armor of God from Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read starting at verse 10 in just a moment. But I want to say uh, something about the video that was just shown about VBS. They want to say a great thank you to Pastor Nathan and all of his volunteers and his staff for doing a great job this year. A tremendous thing. Yeah. And, and for sharing Christ with our kids and continuing in that growth process with them. And, and we are very, very blessed to have he and Cassie with us here on staff at Hope. And we're excited about how, as God is developing them in, in kids ministry, that Hope Kids is developing also. And just, just a super thing. And so their, their energy is absolutely contagious, and uh, it, it's great. I was a kids pastor for quite a while, also myself, and uh, I, I think I had that much energy. I don't remember. It's been a while ago, you know, but, but I, I think so. But it's just so powerful to see how God is using them at Hope. And I want to say thank you to, to Nathan and Cassie today. This series, as we start together this morning, this series has, has been, I think, for, for me, very enlightening and because it's real. And, and, and when I say that, it doesn't mean that's an inference that all other things that we talk about, like Acts and other things, are not real. But it's very real because it addresses this conflict within our lives. And, and, and life is truly a, a series of conflict. It, it is. And you say, well, Mark, that's a kind of a downer way to start this out this morning as we're talking about that. But no. There's a reason that Paul gives us this analogy using the Roman foot soldier in, in Ephesians chapter 6 because it's about conflict. And we find that, that we live in a broken world. We talk about this so many times that we're living in that of the what we call the in-between, that of the redemptive work of Christ being complete upon the cross and his pending and impending return where he will culminate all of that redemptive work and that he will completely crush Satan at that point, and he will no longer have any ability to harm us. But we know that the work of Christ is complete, but yet Satan is not harmless. So there is conflict in our world. We need to see that every day. But you don't have to turn on the television for that, do you? No. You just have to get up in the morning and realize that, you know, things just don't always go well, right? And, and sometimes at that Sunday morning for us, it, things just don't go well for us. And, and there's conflict in, with, between, especially in our relationships and those that we love. And what I, what I really enjoy about this text is that that Ephesians chapter 6 is somewhat sandwiched in between texts about relationships. It really is. And so we're going to talk about that through our teaching this morning. But today, part three, and we're going to talk about the gospel of peace. Last week, we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. And that is that we are covered in the righteousness of Christ, not something that we have earned, so that we are covered in the righteousness of Christ, and that when God sees us, He sees us through that of the perfection of His Son. And, and so what that says is that we wear the breastplate of righteousness, protect us against self-reliance. Because we think that, well, I've got this, I can do this, somehow I've earned this in my life. And, and I can make this happen and it protects us against the darts of the enemy in the area of self-reliance in our life. We started the first week with that of the belt of truth. And we said that the belt is always the first thing the soldier puts on when he puts on his armor before battle. Why? Because everything is dependent upon truth. That's where you start. Because truth brings confidence in our lives. So here is the thought. If you don't have truth, first of all, to start with as a foundation, then we lack confidence in that of 
righteousness. We lack confidence in that of the sword of the Spirit. We lack confidence in that of the shield of faith. We lack confidence in that of the helmet of salvation. We lack confidence in that of the gospel of peace that is our shoes. And so we have to start with truth, and that's where we begin. I think it's amazing how Paul lays this out for you and I to so easily understand this in, in, a, in a very systematic way. So here's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says this, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We discovered that the very first week that what Paul is talking about, he's talking about who God is and what God has done. It's understanding the character and the nature of him. That's where it all starts. He says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. There is a plan against your life. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Know your enemy, he says. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. I stop there for a point and, and, and we'll move on. And it's this. This is not about an armor that you've been given to invade the forces of the enemy. That's not what this is about. This is not uh, an, an armor that's been given to you to storm the walls of, of, of Satan. It's, it's really, it's, a, it's about standing in confidence. It's about standing in confidence, taking a stand in Christ and who he is. And so he says, the, the, he says in verse 14, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And verse 15 is where we talk from this morning. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So I know this is the South, you know. So let's do a little question uh, and, and kind of thing. So how many of you just absolutely despise wearing shoes? Let me see your hand. Those in the room that despise wearing shoes, okay? You're, you're the barefoot people, isn't that correct? Yes, yes, that you go places that we would not go without shoes, right? Yeah. And I have a son, Grayson, our youngest, and he is exactly like this. I've told you stories before about how when he was younger that we would go to a restaurant and we'd pull up and get out of the car and he would say, I forgot something at home. And we'd say, what'd you forget? And he would say, I forgot my shoes. And so he has no shoes, right? Yes, uh, he, I, it's amazing because he has been gone to Ukraine and he's back, but he's gone again now. And, and I got into his Jeep the other day to go somewhere and noticed that stuck under his front seat is a pair of shoes. They stay there all the time so we will no longer forget them, right? So shoes are, shoes are necessary for our feet. They are. And so what he says, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, So I begin to think about this. What kind of peace is he referring to? And he says about readiness. So what are we to be ready for? Well, I begin to think about peace. One is this. There is that eternal kind of peace within our lives. That when things are really going tough in our life, we still feel peace within us. It's the sort of the David and Goliath type of peace, you know, where he stands before this giant Goliath. And he says, hey, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. So there is a peace inside of him, even though he faces a great battle in his life. Then there is external peace, not just internal, but there's external peace. That you're living life like life is like a field full of daisies and you're surrounded by singing birds and you're being serenaded by James Taylor and Nora Jones. You know, you know what I mean? It's that, wow, I just, just saying those things. You don't know who those people are? Research them, okay? They just, it's just so calming and, and all those kind of things. There's peace with God, there's peace within, and there's peace with others. And traditionally, 
when we have taught this verse, Ephesians chapter uh, 6 and verse 15, we have always connected it back to a verse in the book of Isaiah, almost. I've almost always heard it connected back to this verse. It's not in your notes. It's not on the screen. So you'll have to kind of write it down in your notes and read it later on. But I'll read it to you for a moment. And it says in Isaiah 52 and 7, you can see how the connection has possibly been made over the years. It says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. So as you can see how you can connect this. It talks about feet. There's a connection, right? It talks about the gospel. There's a connection, the good news. Who publishes peace? Oh, there's peace. There's more connection. Who brings good news of happiness? Who publishes salvation? Who says to Zion, your God reigns. But can I tell you something? That's not the picture that Paul paints for us. That is not it at all. No, it's not the barefoot messenger that spreads the good news to the world. That's not what I believe Paul is talking about. Absolutely. He's using this illustration of a Roman foot soldier. And and it's very difficult to connect the Roman foot soldier with that of the person that's spreading the good news of the gospel. It really is. It's a firm foundation of his sandals to stand firm during a battle. It is. When I read Isaiah, Isaiah 52 and 7, I sort of get this mental picture. Now, you have to remember, I'm a child of the 70s, right? And so I grew up in that era, and I get this kind of 70s kind of motif picture of the Jesus movement image of, of, of the guy or the girl. You know, they're in a robe, they're wearing sandals, long hair, feathered back on the side, you know, kind of deal, blowing in the wind, and, and, and that kind of thing. But that's not with a flower in the ear, too. You can't forget that. But that's not what he's talking about. This is a very militant type of piece for my life and your life that prepares us for battle. It's a battle against, and we talked about this at the very beginning this morning, of opposition in our lives. Because we live in the middle. We live in the middle. And so, what kind of opposition? Is there a specific thing that we think that Paul is referring to here? Yes. If you want to talk about specifics here, then, then this is what I believe he is referring to. Contextually, if you start back at the beginning of chapter 6... Then what we realize that he starts talking about fathers and mothers, right? And he starts talking about children and their behavior and how those children should respect their moms and their dads. Is there room for opposition there? Oh, absolutely, right? Yes. If you've ever had a child invade your home, then you know that there is room for opposition. Absolutely. Because we know that we love them greatly, but they're all just little sinners plotting to take over is what they are. Yes. I heard an amen from up front here. Yes, somebody has a whole bunch of them. And, and so, so I think that we realize there's room for opposition. So it makes sense. It makes sense why Paul would begin there. Then he takes it a step further. He talks about masters and he talks about servants, whether it's by obligation or by choice. It's how you serve your master. It's how you are as an employee and how you serve the boss, whether it's a him or a her. It doesn't matter whether you serve, how you serve the one that supervises you. And you do that how? As serving the Lord, you know? And your first thought is, well, they don't deserve it. And if you take your Bible and open it to Ephesians chapter 6, it doesn't say in there anywhere, only serve them as they deserve it. It doesn't say that. No. So I have to serve them as serving the Lord. Why these verses at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 6? Here's the thought. Relationships 
are the fertile battleground for conflict and opposition in our lives. They are. If there's going to be a conflict in our life, it's probably going to happen in the area of relationships at some place, at some stage of our life. It happens here in gospel community that sometimes we just don't get along. It happens at home. It happens where you work. It happens in your marriage. It happens in who you're dating uh, today. If, if there's a place that Satan loves to work, it's in our relationships. It is. Between us. Why? Because if he can cause us to move out of peace that we're talking about this morning and to begin to function our relationships in fear and hatred and malice and unforgiveness of holding grudges against one another, if he, continue, if he can cause that to happen here in this faith community, then what happens about that is this, that, that there's not going to be peace here, there's not going to be peace in our hearts, there's not going to be peace in this community and our extended community outside these walls. Absolutely. So what does he do? He begins to work in the fertile battle battleground of our relationships. Wow. I thought I just didn't like him. I didn't realize this was like Satan working, you know, in, in this kind of situation. <laughs> I thought I just, I just don't like the way they act or the way they talk. And some of you say, well, they have never even said anything to me at all, but I just don't like the way they look. So, you know, kind of deal. And, and, and no, it is how the enemy works. So here's four big ideas that you're going to hear throughout our teaching. We have two, two talking points, but here's four big ideas that I want to give you before I begin about the gospel of peace. The first is this, that Paul is talking about a peace that is firmly founded in Christ and his gospel. We start there. Like we start with a belt of truth, we have to start with the truth that peace is founded firmly in that of Christ and the gospel. The second talk, the second idea is this, it's a peace in our relationships. It's a peace in our relationships that he's talking about. But here it goes a little further, it's in your notes, specifically, very specifically, simply about how peace is played out in gospel community. It's how it's played out between you and I in this room this morning. It is, because that's, we find it contextually written like that. Fourth, third is this. It's a piece that is a direct result of our growth in Christ. And, and the fourth thing is this. It's a piece that, piece that resides internally before it ever materializes externally. And sometimes it may never materialize externally, but it resides internally within our life. So what is Paul talking about? The first talking point this morning for our discussion is this, peace within our relationships and specifically with the gospel community. It's about us. Why? How do you know that, Mark? How do you? Go ahead, just tell us. how. how because it's a letter to the church at Ephesus. It is, right? It's a letter to the church. It's the church people. It's people like us sitting here in this room. You say, well, Mark, I just showed up this morning. I, I, I rode by through the parking lot. I thought it was interesting. I saw this myriad of, of, of sugary delights on this long table in the lobby through the window. And I thought, I'm going to stop. Well, I'm glad that you're here. So we're just going to call all of you church people for a moment, okay? He's writing this letter to you and I. It deals with our relationships with one another because that's the most fertile ground for the enemy to bring division in is our relationships together here in this room, in this place, in this faith family. 
And if we're going to follow the trail of peace, then we have to also go to Ephesians chapter 2. So grab your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll talk there for a few moments, and then we're going to finish up in Colossians and in the book of Matthew. But here's what he says. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, concerning peace in gospel community, he says this, For he himself is our peace. It establishes this. That we say things like, well, God is love. Yes, he is patience. Yes, he is kindness. He is light. It doesn't mean that God radiates light, but yet God actually is light. That he's not just a speaker of truth, but he is actually truth. And, and, and what does all that mean? It's an understanding of God's character and nature. So Paul says, you have to understand who God is first. That he is our peace, he said. It's not just what he does. No, but it's who he is. It's why he starts out our text today by be strong in the Lord. And then he says, and then the power of his might, because it's not just what he does, but it's actually who he is. We have to have that understanding. Why do we have to know who he is? Because you have to realize this about peace. That he's not dependent on any power outside of himself for assistance when it comes to peace. Realize that. In other words, it doesn't have to be a really good day for God for him to simply still be peace. Realize that. It doesn't have to be a sunny day and those clouds in the sky and there's no percentage of rain for him to simply be peace. He is peace. That is who he is. That is what he has always been. And that is what he will always be. And in that we find the source for peace in our life. And so it says this, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Oh, if this is written to the church of Ephesus and it's included in our biblical canon today, then Mark, can you tell me that there are, there's hostility in church? Are you really serious about that? And, and I know it's all the other churches, right? It's not this church. Isn't that correct? Yes. No, there is. You know how I know that there's hostility in church? Because you're here and I'm here. And we all bring those issues of our lives here. And then all of a sudden we come together in close proximity. And and we're together trying to walk out this journey to get. So yes, there is hostility. Peace is not not only found in Christ, but he is the peace that breaks down every wall. And 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 when we think of walls, man, we think, man, in our lives there are all types of walls. And, And so I begin to list them. There's walls of racism. And there's socioeconomic walls, and there's walls of, of religion, and there's walls of gender, and there's, there's ethnic walls. And what Paul says here, but not here. But not here. He's talking to the church, but not here. He says they should not exist here. He's talking to us. Yes, I realize, and I'm not naive. I realize this is an ideal. I understand that. That, that we are absolutely imperfect people, but we can't discount the ideal just because of our imperfection. Understand that. Because this is an ideal that God has placed in our hearts and our minds as we grow and work toward. So understand that. But what I, what I realize is this, that there are walls in, in every area of our life. And there are walls here that before those walls can be broken down outside of our lives, in this community, outside of this building, there have to be broken down here. And the weapon of choice that God gives us to break down these walls is the peace of Christ. It's what we stand firm in. It's what we find confidence in our lives in. It's not our works ourselves because we can't do that. We can't. We can sometimes create peace by, by you know, 
just by some action of our own will. We could, I think we can do that, but we're talking about a peace that's deeper, that resides in our heart, not just some superficial moment of relief within our lives. It's not something that we do within ourselves, like the breastplate of righteousness. It reminds us that we stand against that of self-reliance. It's supported by truth that he is the peace of our lives, and we stand confident in that against the power of the enemy that would seek to divide us. Oh, that's his tool, isn't it? It's division. Uh, if he can divide us, he, he isolates us. Yes, absolutely. We justify our division. You hurt me, I hurt you. And so we justify that. We, we divide ourselves. We isolate ourselves. We insulate ourselves then to, from each other and, and sometimes from God and him speaking into our lives. And that's truly the plan of the enemy. So he talks about that of the gospel of peace. Here's what the gospel does. I love this. The gospel, the good news, here's what it does. It levels the ground. It removes all the walls. It brings all of us in this room to a point of equality and value. Why? Because the gospel says this, that we have all sinned, all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and that's where, I think that's where the world misses equality. We hear a lot about it, man. We're, we're in, uh, listen, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but we're in another election cycle. Isn't that joyful? Isn't that great? Yes, Yes, if not, we've heard enough politics. Now it's going to ramp it up like times 100. It is. And I'm not here to make a political speech or for a candidate or make a stand on any place in those areas. But I'm just saying that's the reality of it. That advertisements have already begun. They're there. Yeah, you can see them. And so, and, and so many times we hear this word equality being used. And where the world misses equality is that they fail to start with this overwhelming fact that we're all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because if you don't start there about equality, then equality is about you, yourself, and what you can get and what you deserve. It is. And so what happens is this in the gospel of peace that we know that God has wrath toward us. Why? It's a wrath based upon his love because he hates the things that harm us. He does. Because if any father, if any father that is a good father looks upon you and you are doing something that harms yourself, then he hates the things that harm you. So that's his wrath. And that there had to be a debt paid for that wrath. And that was the coming of his son, Christ, who died upon the cross. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But these walls, and I think it's so interesting that, that Paul uses walls here. And here's why, because he talks to the church's Ephesus, who's made up of both Jews and Greeks, mainly are Jews and Gentiles, mainly Gentiles, but it's made up of both Jews and Gentiles. And in the temple, when you went to worship... What was in the temple, there was a wall that divided a space in the temple. And that wall divided a space for the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews could go into the inner court where the sacrifice was made for sins. But the Gentiles had to stand outside of that area on the other side of the wall. And basically they're gazing in through through a window, not being able to participate in the fullness of the law and that of the a sacrifice for sins. So he goes back to that Old Testament kind of teaching so that they will recognize and understand what's going on. And so what the Jews were telling the Gentiles is this. Hey, you can love Jesus. You can do that. That's fine. You can even give in the offering. Hey, nobody's going to turn down offering, right? You can even do that. You can even be saved. 
but there's a place you're never going to get to be because of what you've done, of who you are, of where you've come from, of what you've struggled with, of all the times that you've relapsed in your sinful life. And peace is realized when we realize our position in God. Understand this. What is that position? Let me continue reading. It's verse 15 of Colossians chapter 2. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one, this is important, one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Here's the deal. It's a realization that God doesn't play favorites. Aren't you glad? God does not play favorites. That he does not love the person sitting next to you any more than he loves you. Nor does he love you any more than he loves the person sitting next to you. Well, Mark, you don't know what this individual did to me on the way to church this morning in the car. You have no idea what they brought up in a conversation. Listen, I don't care because what the gospel does, it levels the ground that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so what I realize is this. When we read this text, God does not play favorites. He doesn't. Verse 16 and might reconcile us both to God, our position, in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, the Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, the Jews. It's the cross that kills hostility, Paul says. Yes, that God has made a way through the righteousness of his Son. It's through the cross It's through the cross that we love one another with the love of Christ. It is through the cross. Yes, that's how we can do that. That's a powerful thought. That's a sermon within itself. What does the cross do? It brings us back, first of all, to that of the human condition that we've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. It brings us back to the fix of the human condition, and that is that Christ came as the sacrifice for our sins, the propitiation of our sin. He came to give himself for you and I so that we wouldn't have to pay that debt. It was paid for us. It satisfied the wrath of God. It is the cross that simply kills that hostility between us and our relationships. It is. That we've become one new man where there once was two in division. That peace is realized through unity and unity is centered upon the cross. And that cross reminds us of the commonality of the human condition. That we all need a savior and that brings us together. That brings us together. It doesn't matter of our background. It doesn't matter. Hey, you, 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 may, be, you may be a millionaire and you're sitting next to a 100 there, you know, kind of deal, right? Yes. Or you say, Mark, I don't even have that. I'm like a $20 heir this morning kind of deal, right? And, and so, yeah, but, but here's the beauty of our relationships in this body. And we're going to talk about how that affects relationships outside of that in just a moment. But the beauty of that is that it's the cross that destroys, obliterates the hostility between us. It removes all of those walls between us that in this place, they're, they're not Jews and they're not Gentiles. Understand that. But we're all a family of God. We're going to read that in a few moments also. We're all a family of God. It makes everything very level and very equal in this place. And that is the basis for simply you and I having that gospel relationship with one another. It's a beautiful thing. And so Ephesians 6 says the devil has a scheme against us. And reading all of this, we realize it's to divide us in every walk of our life. Yes, 
He wants to place, he wants to place division between you and your lifelong friend. He wants to place division between you and your spouse. You say, Mark, you don't know the half of that. No, he does. Yes, he does. He wants to place division between you and somebody else sitting in this room, and you both are followers of Christ, but his desire is to bring division between the the two of you. That is his scheme within our lives. Because when we are divided, we no longer function in peace, but we begin to function in fear of one another. So continue reading. It's verse 18. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. I think it's how we see some... Not only how we view God or the way we think that God views us as strangers and aliens. It's, it's that contrast of being family and being strangers. But I think it's sometimes it's how we view one another because of the division among us. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built up, he said. It's, it's, that, it's what we talk about in our vision statement. It's that becoming and belonging. It's that growth within our life to a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, that we're on a journey together. It's the cross that kills the hostility among us. It levels the ground. That's how it works. It reserves the head chair of the table for Christ only. Not me, not you, not a staff member, not anyone else, not another teaching pastor, no one else, but it reserves the head chair at the table for Christ only because only He can bring peace in our lives. So what does that say? Here's what the cross does. It means this, that the stage and the pew is both occupied by sinners, all living under the grace of Christ. That's exactly what this is. That's how we have this relationship with one another. That's the basis for it. It is. And in light of that, man, I find myself more compassionate toward you because I realize my own condition. And in light of understanding who I am, then, then, then I'm, going to, I'm going to love you more in those situations when you fail. And you're going to love me more in the situations when I fail. You're going to reach out to me and not be simply afraid to do that because of me judging you or, you or you judging me. Because we understand that we share the same condition. And I want to tell you, Satan hates for us to be reminded of that. That we're all sinners saved by grace, living under grace, but we all share that same condition. The cross destroys the hostility among us. It destroys the hostility among us. Can I read one, two more verses or three more verses from Ephesians chapter 2? Thank you. I appreciate that. Here it is. Here it is. It's verse 8. Oh, you've heard this before if you've probably ever been to church. If you hadn't, it's a great verse. Underline it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Thank you, Lord. I'm so glad of that because I messed that up so many times so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. So how does this happen practically within our life? So here's the second and the last talking point. Peace in our relationships and within the gospel community is dependent on our growth in Christ. It's dependent upon our growth in Christ. Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Paul is writing again, and he's writing to a different church. And he writes in Colossians 3 and verse 5. Here's what he says about spiritual growth in my life and your life. He says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. 
put to death. Yeah, there is a time to commit murder. Here it is, all right? So you're going to see, oh, I've been waiting for this one. Yes, this, I got a list. No, 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 no. This is, not, this is about you, okay? Understand this. So here it is. He says that you're to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Well, you say, but Mark, hang on. You, you know, this doesn't apply to me. I've stopped. Well, I've stopped at least most of those, you know, kind of, I mean, maybe a few here and there, you know, every once in a while, but I've stopped most of those so I can kind of cruise through this and you can hit everybody really hard and I'll just kind of sit here and just pray for all those that really need to hear this. Can I tell you, if, as we read through this text in a moment, then Paul is going to hit all of you with some, what we would call respectable sins. Yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> I have a woo up front. Yes, thank you. So, so here it is. Here it is. Look, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, I have to stop there for a moment because we talked about the wrath of God being satisfied. So I don't want you to be confused here. Really, this is more about how God disciplines us. You know, there's passive wrath and, and then there's active wrath and there's the passive wrath like what he did with Jonah. Jonah, you go on and, and, and head on your trip, but I'm going to send a fish in a storm to get you at some point because I, you know, that's how much I love you. Then there's the, this, this, active, uh, this active wrath where Adam, he says, comes down and finds him in the garden and says, hey, I'm going to fix this someday. But hey, here's the deal. I'm going to evict you though. You know, and you're going to go out and you're going you're gonna to plant your own plants and you're going to live by the dirt of the ground kind of deal. And, and so we have to understand what he's talking about here. And he says in verse 7, In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you have put them all away. Or, or I'm sorry, but now you must put them all away. So here's the other things, okay? So here, Paul's, Paul is, you know, Paul has to be um, like across the board with all of us and kind of cover all of us this morning. So he's an equal opportunity offender. So here it is. Okay, here it is, right? Here it is. He says you're going to have to put away all of these things. Anger, wrath, oh, malice, slander. Oh, that hurts, right? And, and offensive talk from your mouth. I think that covered the whole room pretty well. That's a blanket for all of us. Uh, do not lie to one another. Why, why does he say that? I, I wrote beside that, don't wear a mask, because this is really about authentic relationships, you know? Don't come in here like you've never done any of those kinds of things, all right? Understand that. Because we, 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 even if we don't know you, we see you, you're breathing, and you've got blood pumping through your body. So understand this, that you're imperfect. We know that. Seeing that you have put off, and this is his metaphor for growth. If you put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge with the image of its creator. This is growth. Is what this is about. And we're going to see in just a moment how this leads us to, to peace in our lives. It is. It's Paul's method of spiritual growth in our lives. It's taking off the old, putting on the new. It's a metaphor for change. He does this. Let me tell you why he does this. He does this because in Jewish culture, in Jewish culture, that how they dressed would have a direct reflection on their character in God. It would. And, and so you could tell a person that, and, and I, I say, boy, there's holes in all of this, and this is, this is, you know, this is not something we want to get involved in, absolutely. But in that time, Jewish culture, that when you saw somebody and how they were dressed, it bespoke of how they followed God. It's about how they kept the law and kept all the rules. I understand that. So he uses this for them to understand. 
And, and when I began to think about changing clothes, I said, well, there's a couple of reasons why you're going to change clothes. One, that your clothes are dirty, right? So if your clothes are dirty, you're going to take off dirty clothes, you're going to put on new. Well, he uses that metaphor. And it makes sense. Because, and sometimes, you know, if we want to use the metaphor, then there are times what we do. We take off clean clothes and put on dirty clothes, don't we? Yeah, there's a sermon there, isn't there? Absolutely, yes, yes. And, and so that's another reason. And the other reason is that sometimes how we're dressed is inappropriate for the occasion. It is. It's inappropriate for the occasion. So you want to be appropriate for the occasion, right? All right. Here's the thing. No, don't get all crazy, okay? This is not going to go where you think it is, all right? So, so this might be one occasion, correct? Yes? Yes? And, and here's, the, here's the other thing, that you want to be appropriate for the other occasion. See? So that scared some of you, didn't it, right? You didn't know what's under there that... Yeah. <laughs> so I'm kind of dressed for both, right? Here's this. It's sort of like casual. I think they call this now business casual, you know, kind of deal. I don't quite understand all that. Really, I have to kind of Google it. If I, somebody says, hey, come business casual, I Google that to see what that means, right? And so that's, this is business casual, and this is like formal, right? This is kind of formal. Yeah. I wanted to make sure you said, I'm sucking in my stomach. So just, oh, hold on, okay. Uh, yeah. I love this shirt. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> I started to wear it just the shirt alone, the, the tuxedo shirt alone, but I figured that it, it would absolutely distract you the entire time. It would. Now it's going to distract you because you know it's under this shirt, okay? And, and so let me dress myself there. Okay, now. He uses this metaphor of taking off and putting on and I think it goes more toward this thing of about being appropriately dressed for the occasion. And what I believe that he's saying, because if you look at it in context, about he's talking about all these sins in our lives and, and all, those, uh, all, all of this, that, that I, I believe that what he's teaching you and I today is, is this through this visual and through this metaphor. Is this that sin? Here's the thought. Sin is inappropriate for our life, for our new life in Christ. That is what he's saying to us. That sin is inappropriate for our new life in Christ. That, that we've been changed. And that's a fight. Man, just me saying that to you, I feel the tension rise in a room. It's a fight. It's a battle. It really is. Well, Mark, what do you expect us to be perfect and never do anything else and never say anything and never, never you know, have obscene talk or slander or malice or wrath or anger? And can I tell you, there's grace there. I understand that, but I'm not gonna, you know, we're not going to use grace as a get-out-of-jail card right now. Understand that as, as we can go do whatever we want and then use that. Understand that. But, but listen, he, here's the thing. It's inappropriate for our new life in Christ. And that's the fight. It's a fight between our flesh and our spirit in relationships. In relationships with one another. Because if you read this list of things that Paul gives us, most of them involve somebody else. They do. Yes, some of those things, yeah, on your own, I understand that. But most of them involve something or someone else within our lives. And what I realize is this, the most notable fruit of our individual life as a Christ follower is how you and I relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's our most notable fruit is how we relate to one another. Look at verse 11. And, and it says here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, 
free, but Christ in all and in all, that we are complete and new. In fact, those old titles, they don't even define us anymore, he's saying. But put on the growth metaphor as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also forgive, must forgive. And above all, put on love, again the metaphor, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What he does is this. He defines holiness for you and I. It's what he does. He defines holiness for us today. That, that Understand this, that it's a gift of God, that I'm incapable of doing that with myself as being holy, but it's the holiness of Jesus that covers my wickedness within my life, and, and thus God looks upon me through the holiness of his Son. But he says, here's the characteristics of holiness in your life. And it's compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. And we show that toward each other. We show that toward each other, particularly those in this room. Particularly the ones sitting beside you, behind you, in front of you. I know a lot of people are on vacation. The one three pews from you this morning, okay? Whatever. But we particularly show those things toward each other as believers. Because what I realize is this, that our faith is not a private faith. Our faith is not a private faith, but what people look for when they look in the window at our faith this morning as we live that out before the world today, they look at, they're looking for change within us. Yes, first of all, they look for change within us, but they're also looking, I think, more importantly, for change between us. It's how we love one another. It's how we treat each other. Yes. So there's no such thing as a private faith life. So here's the practical thing before we, before we end this morning and pray. How do we respond to troubled relationships? How do we respond to troubled relationships without constantly finding ourselves in anger and malice and grudge? And, and you know, he talks about that of the evil words from your mouth, the obscene talk. I use the word trash talk. You know, I think that's something we understand, right? Yes. So how do we, how do we, how do we guard against that? And so here's what Paul says, how you respond to troubled relationships. Bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. I, I looked that up. Do you know what that means? That means to put up with. You say, oh, I've been doing that all my life with this person, you know. And, and I, I've been doing that to put up with. Because sometimes people are like sandpaper that just chafe our soul. They, they really do, right? Yes. And, and we just can't get away from that at times. Yes. So you put up with them is what it says. But can I tell you, it doesn't mean, as you are already thinking, it doesn't mean, oh, I just have to be cordial with them. That's not what that means at all. No, because that would go contrary against what we find Scripture teaching us. No, and, and that's, I think that's the evangelical form of bearing with one another. Oh, I got to love you, but I don't have to like you. Have you ever heard Christians say that? Yes, I, I, I got to love you because I got to love you to go to heaven, but I don't like... Can I tell you, the Bible says from the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. No. You can say all day that you love them, but you don't. That, that's not what you're saying at all. You're saying, I'm only using you as a ticket to get into heaven. That's exactly what I'm doing, you know? And, and that's what this is all about. And that is what I call... Well, I, I wrote this in my notes. That's what I call church bull. That's exactly what that is, right? Yes. 
Yes, or that's bull church. I don't know. You can say it however you want, but we use terms like that all the time, you know? You can tweet that if you want, bull church. I, that's a new term. And, and, and so that's, that's things that we say, and, and, and they're really they're hiding the truth of our own hearts is what they are. Yes, Paul calls us to a type of love for one another that becomes vulnerable to grace, and that's the kind of love that overcomes hostility because it's grace that brings peace. So if you want some peace in your life, start showing some grace to the people around you. That's truth. So this is how I deal, respond with troubled relationships. So how do I deal with abusive people that need my forgiveness or need our forgiveness? And so Paul says this, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you almost should for, you, you, so you also must forgive. Our response should always be prompted by grace. It's a response to God's forgiveness within our lives. Oh, we forgive because we have been forgiven. Oh, now I know where you're going with this, that I have to forgive in order to be forgiven. That's what you're saying. So the, as my forgiveness that I show to others is going to be measured back to me in the same amount that, you know, that I have forgiven them. As what you, that's not what Paul is saying. That's not what he is saying at all. And some of us live our daily lives with people around us just like that. I'm forgiving you because I want to be forgiven. I'm going to forgive you times 10 because I need forgiveness in my life times 10. No, that's, what, that's not what he's saying at all. It's a pure response to Christ's death. It's the cross that eliminates hostility. Yes. Boy, Paul calls us out, doesn't he? He calls us out in all our Christian jargon, all the things that we say and do, and all the things that we act like we are. He calls us out and he says, hey, understand this. No, it's not about you forgiving people because you want to be forgiven by God. That's not what this is about. He goes a step further because this really has to come from your heart. It's about grace. It's a response to grace in your life that, that you forgive because you have been forgiven, not because you want that forgiveness returned back to you. Because the goal here... The goal here is not about like moral perfection in our lives. I think it's about moral maturity. It's about you growing. And, and say, Mark, what does this have to do with peace? Because you get to it. And, and the thing is, it's verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called to one body, and be thankful, he said. It's about becoming a clearer image of Christ in our lives. It's the, and that results in peace. Here is the thought. Peace is a result of you having a greater understanding of who Christ is and what he has done. Peace, I know, I know, you know, I know our thought of peace, you know, peace is the annihilation of all of our enemies. That's it, you know. I could have some real peace in my life if I could just give God a hit list and God kill all these people, right? Yes, God fries all these people, get them out of my life, you know, and then I could have, then I could, I could have some peace within my life and that's really going to make, no, no, peace is found in the growth of our understanding of him because peace has always been and will always be an inward struggle for our lives. It starts, it's here, it's here. Man, I can, I could, I could, you know, send God a hit list. God could eliminate all these people in my life that that really I, I don't like, and and I can still be at at war within myself and not have peace. 
There's a story I end with this morning, and, and it's a story from the New Testament, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 35. Jesus has been teaching, and he is tired. He has just been giving of himself so much, and he's surrounded by a crowd, and so he makes himself or he, he makes his way to the shore. And in Mark 4 and 35, it says that on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him and with them in the boat and just as he was. And I thought, you know, just as he was, that kind of is interesting, but it talks about where he is at that moment. He's very tired and the other boats were with them. And, and a great windstorm arose. There's two storms that took place that day, but we'll talk about that for just a moment. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And I I love this because this is a snapshot of the incarnate Christ, fully God and fully man. Because only fully God could sleep during a storm like that, right? Isn't that true? Yes. And only fully man because he's fatigued from all this teaching. And so they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Because at that boat that day was this great deficit of peace and this great abundance of fear. Because peace and fear are mutually exclusive. The higher rates of fear that you have in your life, the lower amounts of peace that you're going to have. And the higher rates of peace in your life, the lower rates of fear that you have. And it says, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? And have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They don't understand who he is and what he does. And because of their lack of growth, and this is what I think you need to hear. I need to hear this because of their lack of growth. They don't know who he is and what he does. That there's not peace, but there's fear. And because of their lack of understanding, all the peace that was sucked out of the boat that day. There's a storm over the water, but there's a storm in the hearts of the disciples that are with him. One is due to natural causes. One is due to just spiritual immaturity on their part. They've been there. They hadn't been skipping class because they've been living with Jesus. They travel with him. They sleep around the campfire at night with him. But it's a lack of confidence in who he is. It takes us back to Bob. That we stand firm in the confidence of who Christ is. And they say to him, teacher, do you not care that we perishing? And I realize there's natural fear. I can't take that out of the story. You understand that? Hey, we don't want to drown today, you know? That we just don't want to be a drowning victim today. So uh, we don't want, there's this natural fear. But they're, they're they're not questioning his ability. What they're questioning about Jesus is his love. They didn't say to him, Master, can you make this storm stop or can you not? They didn't say that. They said, do you care? It's a question of the love of Christ for them. That some of you this morning are motivated by fear of Christ's intentions toward you. 
that just storm is rocking your boat, man, you're taking on water, you feel like you're going down, and you keep wondering, is God asleep? Is he asleep? And I wrote this in my journal this week as I studied through this text. No, he's in the boat with you. And when he's in the boat with you as the master of all creation, does anything else really matter? That there can be peace in your heart when the storm around you is raging and the winds are coming over in your boat. Why? Because that peace is based on who's in the boat with you. And for some of you, I think you have forgotten that characteristic and that nature of God, that promise of him that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. That nothing in this world, we read this a few weeks ago, nothing in this world is able to separate you from the love of Christ. Understand that. That peace begins here in our hearts. Here. Then it starts here before I can have peace with you and peace in gospel community. It has to start here, and that peace is based on a confidence in who Christ is. That's the teaching of the armor of God. It's where we stand firm. It's where we stand this morning. So could you bow your heads for a moment with me for prayer? Father, Thank you for speaking to Paul and giving us, Lord, this, this illustration, this amazing illustration of this soldier, of the belt of truth, of the breastplate of righteousness. God, today of the shoes for our feet that are the gospel of peace. But God, we realize that peace has to start in our heart first. It starts here. And that peace is based on an assurance that you are our peace. And when that peace is firmly planted within us, and that's not dependent upon whether the storm is raging or whether it's not or where it's a cloudy day or whether it's a sunny day, none of those things affect that because it has to do with an understanding of who you are. So, Father, help us to move and grow into a greater understanding of who you are and what you do, your character and nature. And Father, as that peace is firmly planted in our hearts, Father, then that peace is simply exhibited toward our brothers and sisters in this room and others first. That we love each other through grace, not because we want something in return from you, God, not because, Lord, that we want somehow grace to be shone back to us. No, we love each other purely because of the grace that you have shown toward us. The cross breaks down the hostility between me and you because it levels the ground. And then, Father, that peace is taken from here and it's taken to where we work and where we have coffee and that peace is taken, Father, to our homes and in our other relationships. That peace is, is, is taken to places that we find ourselves shopping or, or wherever we go on vacation, that we take that with us. But Lord, let it begin here within our hearts and let it start as it only can with an understanding of who you are. So God, I ask by the Spirit that you would reveal yourself powerfully to us this morning. 
that our growth would start from this day in a love for scripture, not reading it like we read a blog, but read it to see the beauty of who you are. That it would begin in prayer, that it would begin in pouring ourselves through discipleship into other people's lives. Even though we don't have all the answers, Father, that does not keep us from making disciples. Because, Father, simply we share the grace that you've shared with us. Father, for those this morning that are harboring unforgiveness, God, that you would move in their hearts and their lives as we sit here convicted of our unforgiveness, that we would do something about it. Because taking off and putting on requires us to make a change in our lives. And that's growth. So, Father, we stand firm in you this morning. We stand absolutely 